Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Falmouth Vineyard Online. My name's Nathan, um, the lead pastor of this church, along with my wife, Ruth. Um, you are so welcome. It's great to have you with us this morning. Um, I hope you are well and your loved ones are well. Um, still adjusting to this way of life. It seems like we're in the next stage of trying to plan um, what it's going to look like when we all come back together and the next stage rather than the final stage. So uh, fascinating, fascinating times, isn't it? Trying to negotiate um, how to carry on. So um, I was just really aware that the last time we met, last Sunday morning, we had pre-recorded the service on the Friday, uh, as we do most weeks. Um, and that meant that we didn't respond or mention anything about um, the killing of George Floyd over in the States. And I think I've been on a real journey this week, to be brutally honest, of just examining my own heart, my own motives, my own prejudice, um, and to be honest, my own racism. Um, I think this has been a time when um, I've had to ask myself some tough questions um, I would never say I was racist, um, but I think I have just discovered this week um, stuff in my heart that's just not good. So um, in some in some ways, I just want to confess to all of you, like I, I, I've been challenged this week, deeply challenged, deeply challenged. And I think it's hard not to see the images on telly um, or on YouTube of what happened to George Floyd with the, the police officer kneeling on his neck. That, that now probably famous statement, I can't breathe. Um, so I just wanted to bring that before you guys as community, but also to challenge us all to examine our hearts. Um, I was struck by the passage in Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah has this vision of God in the temple. And I think in that vision of God and his purity and his holiness, Isaiah becomes aware of his own sin, his own stuff. Um, and I think that is one way when we have a vision of God that it brings up our own stuff that we need to confess and repent of. Um, and I think sometimes actually something in the media that we, sees, that we see can cause us to examine ourselves. And my challenge for us as a church would be to root out any prejudice, any racism, um, anything that disqualifies someone, that disadvantages someone because of the colour of their skin or where they've come from. Um, we, I, and I think to be really brutally honest with you, I've, I kind of held off saying anything because I'm always aware that I will probably put my foot in it. I'll probably use the wrong language and I don't want to, I don't, don't want to make it worse. But my, I was then almost doubly challenged that by saying nothing at all, you're condoning it and we cannot stay silent in this time. So we've been on a journey this week just with talking our, to our kids about what's happened because they picked up that something bad had happened in the news. Um, and you might say, well, do you know what? This is a political thing. This isn't anything for the church. But do you know what? The gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, every tribe, every nation, gender, everyone is invited into this kingdom. The, the picture the revelation paints of heaven is that every tribe and nation and race are there. There's no one that's excluded. So um, I just want to invite you into this time of lament and confession um, and hopefully that's something you can join in with.
I just believe it as a church community and as a community that follows Jesus that we're called not only to proclaim and communicate the gospel but we are called to enact to demonstrate the gospel Jesus didn't just preach he healed he cast out demons um, he, he, he stood with the oppressed um, and I think we cannot miss that if you look at the end of Matthew's gospel where there's Jesus tells a story about separating the sheep and the goats he doesn't separate them on what they believe he separates them on how they acted you, you fed me when I was hungry you clothed me when I was naked you visited me when I was in prison it's really fascinating to look at that passage I encourage you to go away and look at it anyway so oh that was a heavy start wasn't it but um I would just encourage you to continue communicating with anyone you can about race about racism um it's not okay just to think we're not racist we have to be anti-racist and we have to turn this not from a moment we have to turn it into momentum um, so i would really encourage you to read to educate yourself to look at history our own history the history of race discrimination in america um, don't be naive um, and just go on a journey uh, we have with our kids talking about the history of our country colonies and what is a dominion all this kind of stuff um it's fascinating um but our kids and we need to have these frank honest conversations um so that we can love our neighbor that's what jesus said to me love your neighbor as yourself and that's everyone um so let's just pray lord god i thank you um that the kingdom of god is for everyone the invitation of your good news is for everyone and you value everyone you you love everyone um, and Jesus I just pray you would convict us you'd move us to confession move us to repentance where there's anything in our heart where we prejudge anyone and Holy Spirit would you convict us in Jesus name Amen yeah, so what else is going on uh, this week? Hey, so two exciting things. We're going to do coffee and donuts after the service again. Uh, people enjoyed it last week. You have to sign up. So go over to Church Suite or the link is on the front page of our website. Sign up for coffee and donuts. You will be emailed the Zoom meeting details with the password. We're trying to make things uber secure on Zoom at the moment. So um, it's great a great chance to pray and minister to each other which is what we did last week it's really nice to catch up um, and yes but you are all invited it would be great to see you um, and if we've got lots of people we can do breakout rooms that's all good as well and then um, what do we always say small groups um, so we've got four small groups running Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday nights on zoom from the comfort of your own house you can make yourself a lovely cup of coffee or pour yourself a nice glass of wine um, and they're little communities that do life together look out for one another um, so we'd love for you to join one um, go to the falmouthvineyard.org forward slash small groups or go to falmouthvineyard.org forward slash connect fill out connect card online and we will be in touch and let you know what's coming up um, now the biggest news um, in some ways in the church calendar is that we would love to launch alpha so Alpha is a fantastic organisation that's come out of HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton up in London, run by Nicky Gumbel. And they have moved their courses online. Um, so we're going to be running the Alpha course from June the 16th on a Tuesday evening every week until August. Um, it will probably only be an hour because it's a lot shorter. There's no food involved now. It will be on Zoom. 
and it's going to be from eight o'clock every Tuesday night from the 16th of June and we would love to invite you to be inviting your friends, your neighbours, your family, whoever you think God is on, who God is stirring their hearts, um, that they would be able to explore who Jesus is. And Alpha is a phenomenal course. We've done it in our house and it was brilliant. And so I was just watching the HTB stream this week and Nikki Gumball is just reflecting on the courses they've moved online. So let's just hear from Nikki Gumball HTB really quickly. Spiritual hunger. There's a huge spiritual hunger right now, like I've never known in my lifetime. There's like a spiritual awakening. That's why so many people are coming on Alpha all over the country. And on our own course here, here at HB, we've had more people than we've ever had before. We've had 1,600 people coming in, in our own small group. When we asked the question, how, how are you here? Most of them said it's because of COVID-19. It's made us think we've got more time, or because it's online, we're able to do it. And then we had, under two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit weekend on a Saturday in two and a half hours. And I have always said I didn't think Alpha would work on, online. And I certainly didn't think the weekend would work online. I could not have been more wrong. It was the most astonishing thing I think I've ever seen in terms of the Holy Spirit coming. When we pray that prayer, come Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And, oh, you know, there's no worship, no laying on of hands, but what I learned is the Holy Spirit is not confused by Zoom. And the Holy Spirit can heal people. Jesus healed people at a distance. The Holy Spirit can fill people at a distance. And what happened to those people was astonishing. I've been spending uh, this week just interviewing them, hearing their stories. Let me just, just read to you some of the things the people have said. One man said this, I was hit by this wave of emotion, a wave of love. It's like suddenly the Holy Spirit came. I realized that the whole point of this is you're not alone anymore. He realized that Jesus is now with him in his home. I had tears running down my cheeks, and I'm not a great blubber. He's certainly not. He's a, yeah, profoundly moved. It dawned on me. Deciding whether to follow God and to follow Jesus is actually a very big decision. Choosing unconditional love and forgiveness, grace, peace, hope, all these wonderful things. You're actively choosing Christ. I feel very peaceful. I haven't felt peace like this for a very long time. It was sort of like being hit by lightning in a specific moment, and I wasn't expecting it a bit, just like the day of Pentecost. Suddenly, a young woman said this, I feel like I'm the person I'm supposed to be. The way that God sees me is the way that I see myself. Another person said, tears streaming down my face. I've gone from being quite apprehensive to saying hi to God, which I've never done before. Another person said, I felt I was not worthy of love. That has changed. I can pray fully, feeling that someone cares. Jesus cares. Another young man said this. He was overwhelmed with emotion. He'd suffered from chronic anxiety. Felt this huge weight lifted. On Sunday, I got down on my knees and prayed. I contacted people to apologise. I hadn't seen for years. I feel like a different person. Another person said this. 
The Holy Spirit sent shivers down my shoulders and arms. I prayed out loud and I felt calmer since. Another man simply said, I was blind, but now I can see. I don't know about you, but that just inspired, inspires us and inspired us to say, let's just go for it. Let's go for Alpha online. Um, and that's been our experience as well. Holy Spirit is not confounded by Zoom. It, Holy Spirit can move um, and, and break into people's lives. So we're really excited about what, that, what that's going to look like. So this morning, we're going to be carrying on looking at the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And we're kind of saying that this is letting Jesus speak for himself. Um, so far, we've looked at Jesus saying he is the bread of life. And this is after he's fed the 5,000. And we realise that as humans, we are spiritually hungry. Um, and, and we try and satisfy our hunger in all the wrong places. And we realise that only Jesus can truly satisfy us. And then we looked at Jesus standing up in the temple and saying, he is the light of the world. And, and we realised that apart from him, we are actually stumbling in darkness. Um, he is the light that guides us. So, um, and then we had two weeks looking at the theme of sheep, where Jesus first of all says, I am the gate or I am the door. Um, that the way in is the way on almost, that you go through Jesus, everything, uh, um, access to the Father is through Jesus. Um, that is into the safety and the security and the relationship with Jesus. The way into the peace and protection of God is only through the Son of God, through Jesus. And we looked at how Jesus contrasted his own leadership with the leaders at the time, the Pharisees. Um, and we looked at the fact that he knows us by name. He calls us individually and he goes looking for the lost sheep. He goes after the 99 um, and he sacrifices. He lays down his own life to protect them. Um, and we realised the offensive thing that week was we realised that we all like sheep have gone astray. We wander. We go off course. Um, and because we need to be led, we need a shepherd. That was what we looked at um, because we're designed to follow. So we looked at Jesus being the good shepherd. Now, today we're going to look at another of the I am statements from John's Gospel. And it's again wrapped up in one of the most famous of Jesus' miracles. And you can, um, if you read through John's Gospels, you'll see seven signs, seven miracles. And John, John says they're signs towards. And if you look at the end of the book of John, John says this is so that you will recognise Jesus as Messiah, Jesus as Son of God, Jesus as Rescuer, as Redeemer. So we're going to be spending a lot of time in um, John chapter 11 this morning. So if you haven't already grabbed your Bible, quick pause, go and get it. Um, and so what has happened so far? John chapter 11, Mary and Martha, two famous in the, people in the, um, ladies in the New Testament, um, have sent word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick and they say the one you love is sick. Now, side note, I love the fact that Jesus probably loved everyone and everyone felt like they were the one loved of Jesus. And that's the truth for you this morning. And Jesus' reaction to this news is fascinating. Um, and it kind of frames the rest of the story. Because in verse four, Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death, but is for God's glory and so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So you might think, well, Jesus has news that one of the friends he has is sick, so he packs up everything and goes off. But no, 
Look at verse 6 um, in chapter 11. They decide to stay where they are for two more days. Now, there's another plot line going on here. Because Jesus has been going in and out of Jerusalem his whole life, his whole ministry, to the, into Jerusalem from the surrounding area. And he's been getting into more and more trouble. He's hitting more and more opposition from the religious leaders. So the disciples don't want to go because they know there's a real strong chance of them being killed if they go into Jerusalem again. But Jesus says, after two days, let's go back. And they remind him, actually, Jesus, the last time we were there, they tried to stone you. They tried to kill you, Jesus. So Jesus says this incredible conversation. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. And the disciples were like, well, that's okay. He was going to wake up. What's the big deal? But Jesus then clarifies, next verse, verse 14, and says, no, 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 he's dead. And so verse 16, classic um, Thomas pipes up and says, well, do you know what? If Jesus is going, this guy's already dead. We might as well go and die with Jesus. And that's how you leave the end of chapter, um, verse 16. And that kind of frames this passage. Um, it's about death. It's about suffering and it's about resurrection. It's about the future breaking into the present in the life of Jesus. The future reality of heaven breaking into the present life of Jesus. And it confronts us with an uncomfortable truth. Something has offended us in every one of these I am statements. And the saying is that there are two things that are certain in life. Death and taxes. And let's be honest, we don't often talk about death. It's not a go-to conversation thing. Um, during this pandemic that we're in at the moment, I think one of the things it's done is um, made us confront our own mortality. Um, we generally live as though we're going to live forever, don't we? Um, so today I'm going to offend you again by saying that at some point I'm afraid you are going to die. And in fact, you are in the process of dying already because that's what aging is, isn't it? More grey hairs in your beard. Um, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry to offend you at this time on a Sunday morning. Um, but it's kind of highlighted. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral. They are horrible. There is something profoundly unnatural about grief and pain that's caused by the loss we experience when someone close to us dies. Um, I was just thinking about this in terms of relationships, the loss you feel in relationships as they break down. During the marriage prep course we ran just before Christmas, they used this analogy of um, the pain caused by separation and the breakdown of relationships. And they ask you to imagine two sheets of paper glued together. Um, and when you separate them, when you try to pull them apart, they rip and they tear and they leave part of each other on them. And it's, it's kind of the same. I think that's actually a really helpful um, picture for actually when someone dies that's close to us. We, we spend our entire lives not talking about death. And then at that point when you lose someone, it's like you've lost part of yourself. Um, there is literally heartbreak. So being at a funeral kind of brings all these things to a head. To be at an event that is... The, where the focus is death and that's what Jesus does effectively goes into this funeral um, in this story and part of the reasons that funerals are so horrible apart from the loss of a friend or a loved one is that it confronts us with the really super awkward reality 
that we are all going to die as well. Now, I don't talk about this as much at all because I generally don't like to talk about death at all. I'm like you. Um, my dad died in 2014, nearly, well, just over six years ago. And it's amazing what people say to you when someone close to you dies. I don't know if you've experienced this. Silly things, pretty insensitive things sometimes. Mostly, do you know what? It's mostly because we're just embarrassed and we don't know what to say. Comments ranging from like, I know what you're going through. My dog died and I was devastated too. I'm like, thanks, you're kind of comparing my dad to your dog, which doesn't seem fair. Um, basically, any conversation that starts, I know what you're going through. Just in your head, just say immediately stop. You don't. You absolutely don't. Even if it's exactly the same illness, you don't know what that person is going through. Um, it's just not the same. Here's another classic, terrible line. Um, God just wanted another angel in heaven. Well, that's rubbish. Of course, theologically, that's utter rubbish. And that's just stupid. Can you imagine um, an angel is a huge warrior of light? Or I kind of imagine there's like tiny little cherubs. Well, my dad was a bit tubby and he'd kind of lost his hair. He wouldn't have made a very imposing angel at all. And anyway, angels aren't dead people. That's just stupid. But when you see someone close to you is dying or you see and experience death, there is something Sorry to touch the microphone. There is something unnatural about it. It's almost like we were not designed to die, which we weren't, and we're not designed to experience that level of grief and pain and loss. And there's a reason for that. We literally weren't designed. If you look at, so, the, so we're going to look at the story this morning of when Jesus confronts death. Now, my dad was a church pastor, a Christian, he loved Jesus. And there was never any hesitation about where he thought he was going when he died. Um, he didn't have any hesitation about what he thought was going to happen to him. He was ill. He went to the doctors just after Christmas um, in, um, yeah, just after Christmas. And they diagnosed him with cancer. I think that was in early January. Um, or it might have been between, just, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, and he was diagnosed with cancer and he died within three weeks. So we had the funeral um, in on the 1st of February. So it happened really quickly. It went downhill really quickly. But he had absolutely no fear in death. And that was a testimony to me and to everyone I was talking to at the time about, because they were like, how's your dad doing? And I was like, oh my goodness, he just knows such peace. It's amazing. He even thanked the doctor that came and gave him the bad news, came around to the house. You know it's bad if the doctor turns up to your house, don't you? Told them the bad news. Dad said, thank you so much, doctor, for coming to tell me that. And he didn't want any last gasp treatment. He literally could say, as Paul does, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Isn't that incredible? And when you see someone you love and someone you know approach death with such confidence, with such hope, it makes you ask yourself the question, am I afraid of dying? And am I afraid of death? And I think that this pandemic has caused our society to ask this question. And that's one of the reasons in some ways we want to run Alpha, because it feels like people are asking themselves the big questions of life. Where do I go when I die? 
What is the point of life? What is the meaning of life? Um, yeah, where, what happens when we die? They want to know. Big question. So let's launch in. Seth is going to read for us from John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27 from the NIV. Thanks, Seth. Okay, so this is John chapter 11, verses 17 to 27. Jesus comforts the sisters. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. The miracle that is about to happen sets in motion the end of Jesus' life. If you look at the book of John, you can basically divide it in half, divide it in two. The first half is the seven signs that point towards the fact that Jesus is Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the Redeemer. And they also signpost what things would be like when God gets his way. And that's you get another way to describe that, what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like, where the will of God is done. That's what the kingdom of God is. And there are glimpses of the kingdom of God throughout this gospel and through all the gospels. The kingdom of God is where God's will is done. And these signs show us who God is and what God is like. And they show us what heaven will be like as well. Um, a place where there is no need, where there is no hunger, where there is a reality of peace. And in this sign, in this miracle, we see the nature of the kingdom of God is resurrection and life rather than death. I love Martha's honesty as she confronts Jesus in verse 21. If you were here, you could have done something about it. I wonder if you've ever had that question to God if you would have broken in, you could have done something about it. But listen to her faith, verse 22. But now, even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Now, the belief of the Jews at this point was that there would be a resurrection at the last day, that everyone would be resurrected and they would all be judged. But Jesus says this incredible statement. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That thing that you thought was going to happen at the end of time is happening in my life, in my death and in my resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. And you don't, even, you don't even have to wait till the end. The message paraphrase written by Eugene Peterson says this. You don't have to wait for the end. I am right now resurrection and life. I love it. So Martha goes to get Mary and Mary runs out of the village and falls at Jesus' feet and says the same thing. If you only had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. So let's carry on reading. 
When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Jews with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up within him. He said, where did you put him? Master, come and see, they said. Now Jesus wept. The Jews said, look how deeply he loved him. Others among them said, well, if he had loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of the blind man. That's the message translation. Now, the question um, that might have jumped out from this passage is a big one. Why does Jesus weep? Why does Jesus cry? We know the end of the story. We know that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. When John writes, the Jews said it was because how deeply he loved him. What you've got to realise is they are always wrong. When John writes the comments of the crowd, the crowd are always wrong. They always get Jesus' motivations wrong. So if you read Tom Wright's commentary on John's Gospel, which I do recommend, it's brilliant, it's very helpful and very um, easy to read. Um, he suggests that the tears of Jesus in this passage reveal more than just Jesus' humanity. The fact that Jesus was human and, and was emotional. They reveal more than just his empathy because there this is fascinating because the, in this passage there is a parallel. This story is, is the beginning of the end of Jesus's life. Jesus weeps when he sees the place of the tomb and part of the reason at least for the tears of Jesus and the grief are for his own death still to come. The image of the tomb would have made his own death seem very real. The language of the crowd even mirrors the crowd at the cross. Verse 37, others among them said, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of the blind. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? That's what they said around the cross. Tom Wright says this, John is telling us the answer to the question, why can't he save himself? John is telling us the answer by a thousand hints and images throughout this book. It is only through his death, it is only through his own sharing of the common fate of humanity that the world can be saved. You can almost draw a line from Jesus' tears in verse 35 to the death in which Jesus will share, not only grief, but also the doom of the world. By pulling Lazarus from the tomb, he is committing himself to the tomb. The moment Lazarus comes out of that tomb, the news travels around the region and Jesus' fate is sealed. He is, in effect, giving his life to save Lazarus's life. And the beauty of this story is that what Jesus has, that is what Jesus has done for all of us. He's looked into the tomb, he's called us out and he's gone in himself. That's the entire point of the gospel. Death is defeated because Jesus conquers it. And there's a transaction on all of our behalf. In this resurrection of Lazarus, he is pointing forwards towards the resurrection that he brings, not only for himself, but for any who believe. Jesus says to us all, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And that is how we can have confidence when faced with death, when faced with grief and faced with loss. Why we can have faith and hope 
even in the face of death. This isn't just about what happens when we die, though. It's about the little ways death can creep into our life. Death and sin can corrupt every part of our lives, like the racism we were talking about earlier, or that prejudice. It's like a little bit of death that creeps into our life. Unforgiveness, bitterness, fear, brokenness, jealousy, anger, hatred, pride. All of these things are little bits of death which have creeped into our lives, creeped into our attitudes and our behaviours. These things are little bits of death that are killing us. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, that we can have his resurrection life now. He can set us free and we can live this new spiritual life. And that's not just about approaching death without fear. It's living that eternal life in the kingdom of God with the possibility of heaven right here, right now, wherever we are. And that is the good news of the kingdom of God. So my encouragement, my challenge would be, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus on the cross died for you and that in Jesus' resurrection, he was showing your own resurrection? Because there's a choice we have to make about whether we accept that and whether we turn and repent from our own life. Um, but there is such an incredible invitation into life in this passage. We haven't even got on to the fact that Jesus goes to the tomb, the tomb's rolled away, there's no smell because the body's not dead and Lazarus walks out. And that, if you then follow the story in the rest of John's Gospel, is the route to the cross. That man's life is the beginning of Jesus' death. But Jesus' death is for all of us to have life, and that's the beauty of the Gospel. So, Let's just pray to finish and then Callum's just going to lead us in worship. Lord God, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life and that gives us hope and confidence and drives out fear as we live the kingdom of God life now. And Jesus, I pray for anyone that doesn't know that reality that you would break in this morning, that they would know that you are the resurrection and the life. And I pray for anyone that is having troubles with anxiety and fear around death lord i just pray you'd know they would know your presence right now and i just pray for all of you wherever you are now that you would know the holy spirit's presence you would know his peace and his love and god's love for you at this time in jesus name amen